HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food and beverage radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Southern Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Hey, buddy. How's it going? Oh, you know, it's still January, but we, we try anyway. Yeah, yeah. Dealing with uh, cold weather, pissing rain, uh, layers of snow everywhere that are ugly and slushy and melty. It's, uh, I'm already, I'm already we, it's our first real snow in, in, uh, in over a year, apparently, according to the, uh, the weather tracks that I follow. Uh, and uh, I'm already over it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was it was nice while it was coming down. And then it's like this is New York, though. I mean, it's like it, it only remains just, you know, a winter wonderland while it's in flight. Once it touches the pavement, it's ruined. But we uh, we know this is New York. Once anything here touches it's the pavement, it's ruined. it's ruined. Like yeah. you drop your your Kate Spade purse. Sorry, yeah. that's trash now. You can't. There's nothing can save that. Uh, a good thing about January, though, is that it's uh, it's award season, and the, uh, the, the James Beard, this. yeah, James Beard long lists came out today, and uh, saw a, a familiar name on there. Right. Well, uh, my partner Ravi Darasi, the founder of Overthrow Hospitality, is up for uh, outstanding restaurateur. Uh, this is the second year in a row we've been up for it uh, on the long list. We did not make the short list last year. The short list, I think, comes out in uh, another month or so. Um, so hopefully, you know, James Beard, I think, is a slower moving process. Um, you know, you don't I don't think I don't think very often you get on the list and you win right away unless it's the best new. Right. Um, I think you get on you hover around in the long list and you get on the short list then you might move into the winning position. So hopefully that's a good sign uh, that we've been on it for two years in a row. Um, I, I, I hope that uh, we take it. There's some great New York bars on the list as well. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of a lot of cool uh, spots on the um that's just a lot of cool like places from all over the United States were on this list. There was a spot from uh, Anchorage, Alaska that made the list, which I thought was yeah. cool. Uh, Bow and Arrow Brewing, which is a friend of a friend of the show, was on there, which is great. Um, just some really cool places from all over. But the two spots in New York that made it on the list were uh, Double Chicken Please. No surprise there. They're on. Right. And we had those guys on the show. Great episode and a great bar. Just not too far from Memorial Margo. It's down in the. Lower East. Yeah, absolutely. Like great, great bar, great people. They're fantastic. But they're also like the Meryl Streep of the cocktail moment. You know, it's just like if there's a list and they're not on it, you're just like, what? Did you? Right. Oversight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, were you aware that they were in a movie this year? Um, but the other bar that made it, I, I was really pleased to see this. It was a place called All Night Skate, which actually used to be a local of mine uh, back when I lived in Bushwick and then later Bedsty, because it's in this teeny tiny little neighborhood called Ocean Hill. Uh, sort of on the right on the border of those two neighborhoods and then just like a little bit off to the right. Um, but it's a lovely bar, kind of a kitschy 90s theme sort of thing. They take the cocktail seriously, but not themselves. And it's a weird experience, you know, seeing a place that you always thought was like one of your little like secret bars 
like that would always be where I would send folks who were staying with, you know, friends in either of those neighborhoods or just out there. I'm like, okay, I know all the big spots are going to be crowded, but you should definitely check out this place because it's Mm -hmm. awesome. And it's like below the radar. And while I'm happy for them on a deeply selfish level, I'm a little bit like, I'm like, oh man, my below the radar place is very solidly above on around in the radar now. So congratulations to them. Well deserved. I mean, good for them. I haven't yeah. been, and, and it's not too far from where I live, and I'm sort of embarrassed now that I haven't been. But uh, I think that's a, a lot of times what these awards do. They they alert you to things that maybe you haven't seen before, and of course they highlight the things that you know that are that are existent. So I'm happy to see another bar on there, and that just means maybe it's another local spot that we need to have on the air with us. Oh man, I, yes, absolutely. We should totally do that. And uh, just because it's it's been too long, and I need to uh, reminisce and live in that great little like '90s kitsch thing. Although, in case any of our listeners are curious. I know this has been a problem in the past. Uh, they don't actually have a skating rink there. So don't <laughs> don't show up and ask. They had a piece run in the New York Times, the local paper recently, which was never in which it was never specified that they're not actually a skating rink. Right. And for weeks and months and possibly even longer than that, I don't know, afterwards they had people calling and asking what size skate rentals they had. Oh, it'll, it'll go on forever. The internet never dies. And my example for that is the original room at Amore Margo, 240 square feet, somewhere in the very beginning of our time there, someone wrote something about the pool table, which surely they were talking about the bar next door, Cherry Tavern, which has a pool table, but stayed on the internet forever. And even until this past uh, you know month when we were winding that space down, people would come in and ask where the pool table was. Our standard response uh, as, as a team when someone would ask about the pool table is to say uh, it's out for repairs. Which makes no sense. A room that's 240 square foot doesn't have enough space for a pool table. And they don't take pool tables out for repairs. They repair them where they stand. So, um, yeah, it was a joke going all the way around. <laughs> you never you never did get that pool table back. That's a real shame. They really, you can't, <laughs> man, you can't pay to get good work done these days. That's a problem. Well, speaking of award season and January, uh, I know on this show we're, uh, we have a lot of feelings about dry January. Uh some of them positive, I'll be honest, a lot of them negative, but I think that it's, you know, it's such a part of the conversation, especially this time of year that uh, I'm really stoked to have in the studio with us all the way from Australia. Uh, so yeah, thank you for getting up early. I was going to say, thank you for getting up early to talk about booze, but I guess we're not necessarily, uh, but we have Aaron Trotman, the founder and CEO of Non, which is a non-alcoholic wine label. So Aaron, thanks for joining us, man. Good morning, gents. How are you? Good afternoon. Yeah, we're great. It's, it's afternoon over here. Yeah. Oh, afternoon. Sorry, of course. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, we have a team in New York. I should know this as well. Yeah. It's also Wednesday. What day is it for you? Um, uh, it's Thursday morning. Yeah. yeah from exactly. The future. Yeah. You guys are um, chiming in from the future. Yeah. yeah. Tell yeah. us how I it can, turns out. Does anything? I can tell you it's just, it's as bad as yesterday. So. Ah, oh, damn it. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's better to no, know, I guess. Yeah. No notable improvement. All right. Well, we'll, we'll call you tomorrow. Uh, well, really, really psyched to have you on, and what a great month to have you on, right? It's dry January. People are really uh, the conversation about no and low ABV cocktails is all over the place out there, and you founded a company um, that that specializes in exactly that. Um, so, talk to us a little bit about like what in the first place, got you even interested in entering this market? Uh, and hopefully the answer is greater than, well, it's a, it's a big hole and people want it filled. So, um, yeah, what what drove you? What, what's the what's the drive here? Um, yeah, you're not going to get the standard story of um, I couldn't find what I was looking for, so I decided to go and make it. Um, <laughs> it was actually an accident. So what happened was um, <clears throat> I was drinking. I, I drink. Um, my wife doesn't drink. And we're at the Clove Club in London, and uh, she got the non-out pairings. And uh, during that meal, the sommelier came over and he was like, this is a port off a sunken ship from 1930. And I drank it. I was like, mm, I don't know about this. So that I, I went to my wife. I'm like, what are you drinking? I'm like, this non-alcoholic pairing is really good. Like, I, I understand this. It's a really interesting drink. Um, and then just traveling around, going to more restaurants. I was like, these drinks. And she was getting the non-alcoholic pairings. Well, these drinks are actually like pretty loose. Like, they're really cool. Um, but I was like, why can't you buy that level of drink in a bottle? Like you have to go to this restaurant and have this stupidly expensive meal, sit there for hours to get that drink. And they live and die in those restaurants. I was like, oh, I'm just going to make, turn them into a bottle and put it in a bottle. Like 
that was it. That was like the thought. Um, no market research. Um, <laughs> no, is there a need for this? <laughs> that That's literally- just shocking to me because Australians are not known for being brave and crazy. <laughs> or, or maybe they're exactly known for that. Okay, so yeah, no, no market research. You just dove right in. Yeah, um, and then um, I was like, oh, what's this seed lift stuff? And Diageo's got this drinks accelerator. They're investing in non-health things. And I was like, I was like, I could be on here. Um, and I'm just yeah. like, and then we went out and it took about three months to develop it all and get it, get it right. Um, and then it wasn't right, but I was like, we need to go show someone now. So it took to some hospitality legends here in Melbourne. They're like, can we order it now? And I was like, are you serious? Like, yeah, these are cool. And these are real like pain in our ass to make in the, in the, ourselves. You're saving us a lot of time here. And then all of a sudden it just, when we spoke to everyone, they're like, great. Yes. These are shit to make we'll take it. And it was just, it was on from there. So. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, and Greg has heard me lamented a lot, you know, one of my complaints is that to, to do NA properly is to get in the kitchen, roll your sleeves up and get to work. Um, uh, so to have someone come with a product that, that maybe alleviates my team and my staff having, and myself, frankly, from having to do that, uh, certainly would be, you know, a, a charm that I would want to be drawn to. What were you doing prior? I mean, you, you're a foodie, you're traveling the world, you're eating, and you see these things because they're becoming more and more popular. We've had Austin Henley on from Cato out in L.A., who's got one of the most progressive non-alcoholic um, uh, pairings to go with the the, the Michelin-starred food at Cato. It's incredible. I think it's one of the most uh, unique programs I've ever seen. Um, you know, this is definitely happening in those arenas. What What is it that what, – what was the, the switch for you? Were, were you already in this space, or did, you, did this come to you as you were eating? Um, it came to me as I was eating. Before that, I had like a cosmetics brand, like a male-centric barber-led cosmetics brand. It did nothing. I lost a lot of money. I spent a lot of money. I made a lot of mistakes. But what it did teach me is about formulation, scale, um, mm-hmm. contract manufacturing, ordering packaging, you know, having the inventory, um, and then also just sort of getting things out into market at small scale as cheaply as possible and just hustling to get, get the job done. I contracted a chef to help me with the recipe development in the initial instance. So I think everyone in Melbourne at some point goes, I'm going to own a cafe or something like that. It's such a food load city. Um, <laughs> and uh, for me, once I was already in FMCG, it didn't make sense to just be restricted by the four walls of where you were going to go. So I was like, well, how, how am I going to get into food? And then just, all just sort of fell together. Um, to be honest with you, it's probably the best thing because I did. I was so naive that I would not have known the challenges in scaling up. <laughs> like we'll have, we'll have a chef come down to HQ and they're like, "Are you fucking serious? Like this is stu- <laughs> this is stupid." <laughs> um, and you know they're like, you know, really famous chefs, and they're just like, "That's like, hang on, you're making like three thousand liters of orange stock." And they're like, yeah. And they're like, you're an idiot. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's what we do. So, <laughs> so anyway, it, it, it was always just that blind faith and naivety that actually made this come to fruition and um, just kept pushing on and forward. So it's, it only exists because I wasn't in the industry, to be honest with you. Well, I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, like we were saying, like kind of the, the rolling your sleeves up and getting to work. I want to hear kind of about that, that R&D process. And uh, by the way, my, my hat is off to anyone who is um, naive and brave enough to not know that what they're doing is stupid. Uh, I think that's the only way that important stuff gets done. So kudos to you. But yeah, you. I, I feel the same. <laughs> yeah. But I, but I also imagine um, that there's probably a lot of stuff that didn't work when you were in that phase. And I kind of, I'm, I'm really curious to hear because you uh, very generously sent me a trio of bottles and I've been sipping on them and they're, they're good. They're legitimately good pairings with food. And uh, I think that's a relatively new thing in the non-alc space. And it's something that I'm really enthusiastic about because it means that I'm not locked into having two to three drinks if I want to pair my, my dinner with something, which is very nice. But I would love to hear a little bit about the trial and error and the R&D and specifically like that trip that you mentioned, if there was anything specific that you took like lessons wise or ingredients wise that you're like, I have to use this in this final product. Yeah. So um, 
I went to a place called Lume in South Melbourne and Orlando Marza was there. Um, shout out to him, uh, he's a very good friend of mine now, but I kind of went there and listened very closely to what he was doing. Once I was like, I'm going to go in on this and see what's happening. The season on our parents were amazing. Um, he'd won DIJ World Class maybe a year before or two years before at this point. Um, and he's got his own um, batched cocktail brand called Drinks by Lauro, which is just incredible. Anyway, he's one of the best in the world. Well, he's won it, so he is. Um, anyway, uh, he was mentioning Virgil a lot, and I was like, okay, this seems to be the base that you need to sort of run and go with here, and then you can just make them interesting at the top. Um, during the initial trials, there wasn't, any format that we were trying to chase or go after. It's like, let's just make really yummy drinks. And that was it. Later on, once the business, we got more sophisticated. We're like, well, why, what, what, what do we do? And this was honestly about two or three years later. <laughs> and I was like, and what do these work? And it was, and it was cause they had a fruit tannin salt and acid component. We never put that together that that was why they're good. And that was why mm. they suit the wine occasion and everything. And that honestly came later on because you're putting out fires everywhere else. You're like, well, hang on, what do, why does this work? Like, why does this make sense? Um, so to back to your question about the NPD, the hard part of what we do is that we'll choose an ingredient where we think that flavor is going to work. But there's so many different extraction techniques and different things you can bring in and then you layer in all the cooking techniques as well that – if you think about like if you're gambling, right, and there's and there's a there's this gamut of possibility when you're gambling, and there's all that there's all those different variations, and then you have X amount percentage of that working. That's kind of where we land. So you go right, well, there's raspberries, and then you go well. If we got ten to fifteen ways that we can extract flavor and cook them, and then you go through all of that part of part of the section just on raspberries, then you're like, well, we go hot. We have to use water as a solvent. We can't use alcohol as a solvent, which is a terrible mm -hmm. solvent to use. Right. The universal solvent is also the worst solvent. <laughs> it'll dissolve it eventually. Eventually. Yeah. 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 And it'll kill you if it's not running, which is really funny. If it's not right. like moving all the time. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, then there's hot extraction, cold extraction. Then there's the right amount of temperature. You go to 100 degrees, you're going to cook all the flavor out. If you go to 65, you've got longer so you can draw more flavor and tannin out. It's almost like slow cooking in what we do. But then it's like, oh, hang on, we don't want any of that jammy flavor. So then we're going to go cold. So we'll test everything at different degrees. And sorry, I'm not saying Fahrenheit because I don't know the, <laughs> don't know the gallons in Fahrenheit um, and pounds. Um, it's okay. Neither do I. Really, it doesn't. Sorry. Right, once again, you're you're calling from the future. We're yep. we're still in the past here in America. We're gonna, we're Water boils the, at 212 degrees. I can't. Yeah, I don't right? know how I could possibly make this simpler, guys. It's just it's 12 it, inches in a foot. It all makes sense. It writes itself. <laughs> I don't know if this is true or not, but I saw an article the other day that apparently the boat sunk on the way that had all the weights for the metric system on the way to the US like a couple hundred years ago and that's why you stuck with the imperial system. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not but it's a great story. It's like the port off the sunken ship. I feel like that's that's a story that got invented by like the Department of Labor or something because the, tr the truth is probably really embarrassing because if you tried to switch to the metric system here like you would have you would have so many terrible people on the internet like you know, threatening to come and burn your house down because yeah, you're one of those. That's un-American. Exactly, exactly. Because that's just the world that we live in now. So I guess we're stuck with a gallon being six, eight pints. I don't even know. I don't even know. This, which makes my point for me. Pints is a pound the world around. Eight pints in a gallon. Sixteen ounces here. Twenty ounces over in the UK. Oh uh, well, listen, we're, we're getting distracted. We, were we are very much. We are sorry. So anyway, um, back to back to what I was talking about. So anyway, that that, that is one ingredient, and then there's a multitude of extraction methods. So we'll test all those out first, um, and then obviously there's freeze dried, frozen, all those sorts of things as well. So that's how we we look at it, and then what we want to do is is also what we have on the front of the labels on the back of the labels. So we only use real produce. So we're really careful about everything on the front of the labels. You can taste it. And hopefully you got that experience when you had the, the set the other day. But um, we want everything to stay super tight in the right place. So that means that 
we could get to an extraction method where we're like, great, this is the way we want that flavor to present. But then once we get it all in together, it completely throws it out. And then you're going back, you're like, oh, what happened at 65 degrees with the oranges, mm. you know? So that, it takes a, it takes a long time to get it Well, right. suddenly you've got so many different levers that you can pull that'll have some, uh, you know, slight or drastic changes to the end product. Totally. Sometimes it sounds like it probably gets a little overwhelming sometimes. You got to just eliminate some things. You know, you got to be good at editing. Yeah, and that's how that's gotten better over time. But then sometimes, if they become if too muddled, they become not a non. Because we could we've done we've made products that we could probably beat people with for a pet night and a blind taste, blind tasting. And I'm like, well, we're gonna throw it out. And it's like it's not what we do actually do. We're not trying mm-hmm. to mimic or mock or replicate something. We don't want that to happen. We want to be what we do. So anyway, it's um. It's not like I like making life easy for myself, but it's certainly interesting. Uh, well, I, I think, um, you know, so you sent a package to me as well. Um, there were three. There was the raspberry, the one that had um, a coffee uh, in there somewhere, which I didn't touch. It's my one kryptonite is coffee. Um, and the third one, which I can't remember because I didn't get to even try it. Um, my, my partner doesn't drink as well, and she... Uh, she took one to a friend's house and they drank it and then she, she drank the one that I can't remember, but I tasted the raspberry one. Uh, and I remember it just was uh, on the label. It was very simple. It said raspberries for jus, uh, chamomile and some kind of salt that I didn't recognize. Um, but uh, as you just ex- expressed, all those flavors came through in the final product. Um, and they do seem to be very, um, you know, culinarily driven. Like it, it, it felt like I, I wasn't at the time, but it felt like I was like, I should be, having something the, the food should be the mixer here i should have some food with this right is that and, and that's kind of the goal right or at least the initial goal um yeah absolutely um i don't want to get stuck in having it with food because you just, people might drink less of it They're like oh i have to have this with the meal <laughs> that's not very good for business right, but, right. we gotta make um, sales we gotta make sales <laughs> yeah totally but they, they do elevate with food yes you're right um it was it was funny. I was I was hosting the halal um, lunch in Singapore, and they'd never paired food and drinks together. So it wasn't even about why this matches with this course. It was literally why 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 do you have to do this? And then I was like, well, how do you explain that? Because I've never had to explain it before. And I was like, you know, maybe you could treat it as like a condiment or a sauce or something. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like it was really hard to explain it. Um, but yeah, that's. They do live in that world. They do elevate food. And then one of the main things for us is that I don't want you to have a shitty version of something else without, with all the alcohol and body stripped out of it. It's just like have something totally different that takes you somewhere else altogether. Um, and that's always been the ethos of the company and the business. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. The world is changing faster than ever, and you need a website to go with it. Whether you're a seasoned pro looking to build your following or just starting out with a brand new idea, you need a landing page that's bold, innovative, and uniquely yours. Whatever your passion, you need a web designer with experience, panache, and heart. We can't help you with any of that. Hi, I'm Lou Bank. And I'm Greg Benson. Are we Silicon Valley tech visionaries? No, we're podcast hosts, and that's basically the same thing. And we're here to tell you about Ancestral Agave Syrup. Ancestral Agave Syrup is the 100% pure nectar of the agave plant. Now, wait a minute, you're thinking. I've had 100% pure agave nectar. Well, not like this, you haven't. That stuff is processed with a diffuser, which introduces acid. 
Plus, it comes from Blue Weber, a monoculture that dominates farms, depletes the soil, and won't help you grow your brand or expand your e-commerce functionality. Ancestral agave syrup, on the other hand, is made by slowly cooking down the pure agua miel from Salmiana agaves in Hidalgo and Tlaxcala, two states that have been harvesting those plants for generations. It also won't expand your e-commerce functionality, but it will grow your brand if your brand is person who makes kick-ass margaritas or pecan pies or pancakes. Unfortunately, the families behind this tasty stuff are being offered big beer company bucks to rip out their agave and plant barley instead which would be a crime because ancestral agave syrup is about as far from the processed stuff as 100% pure Vermont maple syrup is from that sticky bottle at a diner. So don't build a homepage from one of several easy to use templates, but do grab ancestral agave syrup today. Our first 25 customers will also receive a special limited edition agave superhero comic book. So do not wait, protect the land, Make better drinks and save the bats by grabbing some today. Go to... Wait, what was that about bats? Uh, yeah, it's an important food source on the migration path of the Mexican long-nosed bat. Huh. Yeah, the flowering stalks of the agave also provide protection from predators. Oh, well, that's cool. Should we get back to the ad now? Yeah, let's do that. Go to AncestralAgave.com or click the link in the show notes to grab some today. Ancestral Agave Syrup. It won't help you build a beautiful website, but it will make your cocktails taste really, really good. I sort of want to get your take on something that I actually saw in, in Punch today. Um, uh, John DeBerry, who's a friend of the show, been on a couple of times, wrote a really interesting article about how a lot of people who are doing R&D for non-alcoholic drinks have increasingly realized that they sort of need to throw out this bartender playbook that we've all sort of learned over the last, you know, dozen plus years that we've all been in to the point where we're, we would click on this article and punch, you've been doing this a long time. And, you know, the, it sort of goes back to this whole David Embry thing. Um, the fine art of mixing drinks, 1950s, like you can take or leave this, but his whole thing of like, there are only really six drinks and everything that is exists and ever will exist will be a riff on those. And I feel like for a while, I mean, even when I was developing non-alc drinks, if I was like bartending a mocktail event or something, that was kind of what I would do. I would say, okay, this is like uh, Collins. This is going to be like a Mai Tai or whatever. But the point was that, you know, starting from that sets you up for failure because all you're going to do is mimic something that you're not at the end of the day. Uh, and it sounds like that's kind of a philosophy that you've approached from day one, where it's like you're definitely not trying to to mimic wine. You're trying to create something that, can be enjoyed in settings where wine would be enjoyed, but is not, is its own distinct thing. Yes, totally. And one alternative is a terrible name, but there's nothing else to call the category right now. Um, because the drinks are so complex and somewhat complicated in, in many ways, depending on who's having them, is that without at least having wine and suggesting the serve um, and the glassware and all those sorts of things, it's going to totally change the occasion. And also you need the wine glass to drive the acid on the nose as well and also help on the palate with when you're having it with food or just drinking it standalone. So we, Nick and Rick, funnily enough, um, have both come from the cocktail world. They're best friends and they both come from the cocktail world. You guys might know of the Black Pearl here in Melbourne. But oh, both yeah, of course. There. Um, so... Anyway, um, they're both our beverage leads, and uh, Nick's actually head beverage. He's just he just did the more tasting dinner uh, last night um, in in LA. But um, they've come from the cocktail world, and basically, cocktail world and alcohol world is totally different because you're using quite sweet stuff to balance the alcohol, and then they've had to throw that whole rule book out. <laughs> in what they do when you're coming in with food. And that's why that culinary approach makes more sense where a dessert is balanced. Like they're not overly sweet or, you know, to really dumb it down, like salted caramel, like how great is that? It's just, that's, that's the approach you have to take to like how they make a dessert and balance them. And then the difference with what we do is that you, to get the wine going as well you need tannin 
and then tannin comes from skins and teas and spices and all those sorts of things. So we kind of fig- figured out that formula and kind of made the rule book for what these mine alternatives are. And, you know, sort of got some other people started along the way behind us. So, um, yeah. Sure. I get what you're saying about trying to, if you're creating an entirely new category, it's difficult not to compare yourself because people, you know, people just want to compare things. That's, that's how we're built. Right. I always say, um, I think in the very beginning, it was a mistake for, I think, you know, the kind of the first one was, uh, silk, right? Silk almond milk or, or whatever. And for them to call it almond milk, that just made people go, that's not milk. Right. Meanwhile, if you just said silk almond juice, people would have been like, oh, this is like milk. <laughs> right. I, so it's like you're, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Like we're, you don't want people to think of this as non-alcoholic wine, but they're going to taste it on their own and go, oh, it's kind of like wine, but not without alcohol. Right. Mm. They're going to do it themselves. Yeah, I, I don't know. I disagree. And actually, I, I, I don't personally, I would never, ever, I like almond milk. I would never, ever, ever drink almond juice. I feel like that's, uh, but, <laughs> but, but I also. Uh, I like them too. And they overcame it. But I think in the very beginning is what I'm saying. Like there was a huge uh, backlash is probably a strong word, but people were definitely like, that's not milk. That's not milk. But if you would given it to them without saying the word milk on the label, they'd have been like, hey, I bet this would be good on cereal like milk. You know, they would have made the conclusion themselves. That's fair. Although I, I don't know, I think people, I think people need to be led by the nose a little bit. In fact, I, apparently, <laughs> like those first companies, a lot of them uh, had to pressure grocery stores to put their products in with the milk. Like almond yeah. milk doesn't need to. I think it does need to be refrigerated, but certainly not to the same level that like pasteurized milk does. But like you know, they would say no. Like you can't leave this on the shelf warm and unrefrigerated before it's opened it will survive but you need to put it next to the milk so people know how to do it which kind of brings us back to the the topic at hand and i'm thinking here in new york not only is it you know not only can you can you not sell non-alcoholic ingredients in legal in liquor stores you legally cannot sell those products and i wonder aaron if you're finding more success kind of you know putting your product next to uh, a bottle of, I don't know, uh, you know, petite Syrah or something in a liquor store. And if that is kind of cueing people in, or if your approach has been more, no, we're going to stay totally away from that and be separate and, and blaze our own path and force people to, to, you know, meet us where we're at and change the way they think about what this is. Um, fantastic question. Um, I, I'm a big fan of the, of the New York non-alcoholic laws. Um, oh, is, oh don't, don't, know, don't, don't even if, get me started about Angostura bitters, buddy. It is <laughs> technically a food. You can buy it in the grocery store without an ID anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a challenge, um, to say the least. Um, so yeah, our route to market there is grocery essentially that is our off trade um everywhere else in the world we show up next to wine and it works really well for us um it's either an incremental basket filler um or people going into these stores and asking for it it's like hey what do you got for non-alc i'm doing a dinner party you know the non-alc occasion hasn't changed since it launched it's sunday to thursday and it's at home and it's got to be simple um and inclusive in many ways and probably around dinner like it's a different way of having you knock off and changing those habits that's and that's really where the opportunity is with the moderation it's like instead of going home and having four beers at night time or two glasses of red you could have non-alcine because there's that ritualistic nature of having a sip in the glass or whatever and then it's just like cool my day's over it's just like taking your pants off and putting tracks your pants on for some people so so the so the access to that in New York is really challenging. We don't have those we don't have those challenges basically anywhere else. Um, so where do we want to show up? Yeah, we want to show up next to natural wines because there's probably the customer that um, gets it the most and is up for those sorts of flavors and orange wines and all those sorts of things. Um, uh, my my brand ambassador in New York said orange wine in New York is basically the new vodka soda. And I was oh, for like, sure. and I was just like, Oh, that'd be fantastic. Um, to, <laughs> to own that, um, and being all those thoughts, but it's just not the reality of the situation. 
And then back to what we were talking about before, I think Milk did a really great job by just putting the Y in. So they called them Milks. And I was like, oh, maybe the category should be called Wines with a, with a W-Y-N-E. And it's like, it is, mm. but it isn't. Um, and I've still been toying around with that idea, but so I think someone needs to sort of forge the path on it. I was actually at Soda Club when I was there last dry January. Um, so right. Your partner there, he was Drew. like, yeah, well, Drew, yes, that's it. Um, say hi to him for me. He's a lovely fellow. Um, he called them gastros. And I was like, oh, that's, mm. that's not a bad name for the category. Um, sure. and, and it helps to show where they show up. Um, but in Australia, gastro is not a very nice um, stomach bug that you can get, um, which, is quite, <laughs> right. which, has, which has a quite an un- unpleasant effect on the toilet. Um, so we can't call them that. Uh, <laughs> well, to be honest, to be honest, gastro is just a gross word everywhere in the English speaking yeah. world. Like I remember when gastro pubs kind of had a moment, no one calls their bar that anymore. I think because people discovered that that word is wildly unappetizing, yeah. but, but this, this does bring up something I want to ask you about. Cause I can tell that this bugs you as much as it bugs me. There are only shitty ways to talk about non-alk drinks that, mm-hmm. that traffic in this space. Um, you know, uh, mocktail is a, is a crappy word. It makes it sound like you're, you know, you're, it makes it sound like a pale cousin of the thing that you actually want, like, uh, low and no ABV. That's too many syllables. Same with non-alcoholic. Every time I say something is zero proof, I feel like a virtue signaling asshole. So like, I think (laughs) I'm, I'm with you. I think we need better ways to like better ways and better words to talk about what these things are. And, and again, I think this is going to be the got milk episode, but going back to them, you know, just them <laughs> sorry, kind of shoving it into people's face and being like, no, this is milk. It comes from oats, but it's milk. I, I wonder if there's some way to do that with these, these things of being like, no, this is a cocktail. It's just, it doesn't have any alcohol in it. I don't know. What do you think? I think Ben Branson, um, who started C-Lip, is, is a very good friend of mine um, now, and he's just made his new bitters um, seasons. And his language that he's going out with at the moment is something that we've been discussing for a long time, um, and he's really going out and owning it. He's got a really big audience, so I think he's going to f- forge the path. But drinking is drinking, right? The only thing that alcohol owns is being drunk. When you drink, you drink water. It's yeah. just drinking. So, like, it's just, hey, do you want to go out for a drink? What, why does it have to be alcoholic? Like it's just with this just go out for a drink. It's the way of socializing. So um, that is the first problem to solve. And the second bit is, is just like booze or no booze, you know, that's it. <laughs> like, Yeah. One of the ways that I've always, call it. one of the ways I've been talking about it since this movement has taken on such a big track is exactly what you were just saying. You know, you wake up in the morning and you have, a glass of water the minute you get up. You have maybe some coffee after that. You have uh, a breakfast with a glass of orange juice. You eat your lunch with a Sprite or a Coca-Cola. You've had a lot of drinks today. I think it's that we, we've we decided that we want to exalt the notion of non-alcoholic as the modifier. When all of those things I listed earlier, your Sprite, your Coca-Cola, your orange juice, your coffee, you can add booze to those, and the modifier is the booze. Booze is the outlier. So I think that it's it's difficult to categorize the thing that is the majority thing. Drinking, Probably. as you just said, is just drinking. <laughs> um, but then you want to add alcohol to the mix, then we've got a much smaller category. So that can be sort of identified and codified. I, I, I get it. It's tough. Uh, I come across it all the time at all, at all my places. So, um, you know, I just decided to um, list on the menu everything in order that I thought it should be on the menu as far as flavor and taste go. Uh, and then I list ABV of everything. So, you know, you, you may be looking down my list and it, it, it could say an old fashioned, a daiquiri, uh, and then another drink that lists zero ABV, right? So it's just, it's right where it should be on the menu. We don't make a big fanfare out of it. This one just has no booze in it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that for me is the best way to do it. Um, and the venues um, and hospitality venues really win it as well, just depending on your audience and everything, but just having a section of no, no booze as well. Cause it's, well, I think yeah. having that section is the is the, it's the on paper equivalent, right? You're literally looking at a piece of paper that's the menu. I think that's the equivalent of the kids' table. We've separated mm-hmm. you off, and you're over here. No, yes. no, no. We're all at this one table. We just list the ABV. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. that's how I feel about it. 
Yeah, I agree with you because that's, I think that's the way the vegans went, you know, and ended up just becoming brackets. It wasn't like, hey, there's vegan options and vegan menu here and vegetarian and all those sorts of things. So that, that has changed and, prob- and you're probably, I think you're probably further ahead in, in where we're at right now. And I think it is the right thinking and the right, and the right place to be. It's just like, hey, it's all in and this one has it and this one doesn't have it, but we make really good drinks. So it really doesn't even matter if it has booze in it or not, like, because what you're going to get is delicious. So it doesn't matter where it sits on the menu. So I think it just depends on, on your venue as well in, in some ways. Um, where, where you want where, to place it. I would ask this as uh, someone who's making a product that's, that's in a, where do you do the best in your sales? Do you do best selling to bars and restaurants? So on-premise or do you do best at off-premise sales? It's about like 60, 40. So in, in which we have direction? more on, we have more restaurants and on-premise accounts than we have off-premise accounts, but we move 60 to 40% of our volume through, through off-premise. Um, and obviously online as well. So yeah, I think it's, it's on-premise mainly, um, it's restaurants. Um, again, we're solving the first problem we're solving is the time and effort to give high quality non alcoholic options. You don't have to make them yourself. You don't have to pay for the labor in your venue. You have to call people in early and do all this prep and all these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and also they're stable. So it's not like, oh, I can make this, got to get through it in two or three days. Um, you know, everything that we do is shelf stable. So that's the first bit. And then the second bit is if it's, if you've got really high quality and not now, you can get a lot more money on the, on the ticket as well. So we, we, we're helping venues a lot with the cash margin that they're making as well. Um, yeah, and then for, if we can have enough conversations with staff as well, it's like, the reason why it's selling on app is you get more tips. Like it's, it's pretty simple, right? That's this way you should care about it. Um, if you don't care about it and, um, you know, water, you don't make any money from water and soft drink is a very low cash margin. So you, you should be upselling to non-alk. And then, um, as you said earlier, it's like, I don't know anyone's done a three or four course meal and had their two glasses of wine and been able to drive and finish the entire meal because it just doesn't go that far. So mm-hmm. You want to litter it in between and have a glass full the whole way through the meal, um, and that, and then non-alc plays it plays a key role in that. And you know you can have one alc, one non-alc, one alc, one non-alc. Of course, yeah. So Lace them together and, and yeah. yeah, moderating all the way through, and you know you've got something that goes really well with food because yeah, like Coca-Cola goes great with the burger, but it doesn't really go really great with <laughs> ceviche. You know what I mean? So it's just like you need something, you need something else. <laughs> <laughs> so ceviche i think is more of a sprite pairing That's yeah right. yeah <laughs> something with lime and yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> um i i did want to ask though since you know it is it is that time of year and obviously you know this is uh something that we can't we can't not uh talk about with you in here uh, i i'd love to get into your feelings about dry january and i know earlier that like you know we mentioned that you know, we gotta we gotta look out for sales so i don't want you to say anything too <laughs> damning about dry january you can blink twice if you're being held hostage, but um, <laughs> I would love to know what your just general take on the sort of fervor that has risen up around this. Um, what I think is this kind of like you know a white white knuckle macho contest that, in case the words I just used there didn't tip you off, I'm not a huge fan of the mental approach to it. But I would love to know sort of what you think as someone who's playing in this non-alc space. Um, as a business, I love them and I'll take as many as I can get. I think we have about four months of the year at the moment, which is great. Um, it's great for press. It's great for eyes in the category. Um, it's great for education. If you, I hate the word super curious, but there's no better word for that either right now, right now either. So <laughs> again, I think, I think we're all sober most of the time. The, the, yes. the caveat is adding alcohol, but we, yes. we, it's hard to do, it's, it's hard to put a label on the largest thing. The largest thing yes. is just the thing. Then yes. you have your subcategories that have names, right? Yeah. Sober, curious. Oh, it makes me angry. Yeah. <laughs> um, so from business perspective, I love it. It's great. It's fantastic for us. We get to recruit a lot of new customers. We get a lot of trial. And also we got new, we got, we got some activation and promo to go out to the trade with as well in being on-premise. So business-wise, it's fantastic. I love it. We have Dry July in Australia. And then there's like... Sober October. October. <laughs> yeah, but they're not as they're not as important or as big as the, the two key tempo ones. So 
to answer your question, I like it from a business perspective. From a narrative perspective, I think that it's kind of like running a marathon in ways. It's like you go for small little jogs and then you build up to the marathon and it's almost damp January, I think is probably better vernacular mm-hmm. for the recruitment of it and for what they're actually trying to achieve and trying to educate consumers generally on moderation. The big the big target audience to go after and also to improve general health in every in everyone is to moderate your drinking. It's not to, it's not to stop it altogether and make it more attainable. Um, you know, you'll see some non-alcoholic influences and, you know, they're, they're like, oh, I moderate now, you know. They've, they've, they've reached as much as their audience as they possibly can. So, um, and if they've gone too hard into the non-alc thing, just like, you know, a vegan could have gone too hard, you know, they alienate an audience as well. Right. So um, there's, there's only so many customers you can recruit. Um, the, it's, it's the same thing that happened with Impossible Burgers and Beyond Meat as well, you know. So it's just like meat's bad, you're bad for the environment, you're a bad person, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, oh, actually, you know, switch it up in between, moderate your meat. You know, they're, they're taking the same approach that alcohol's taken with these um, faux meats. Uh, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, to me, it it get, it gets back to, and this is a, a, a peculiarly American thing. I don't know if this is a thing that y'all share down in Australia as well, but I think that we tend to really enjoy a side of shame with our food here in this country, and I think that, and I think that that is uh, such a shot in the foot for people who actually like want to be more intentional with uh, the way that they eat, you know? And again, like you were saying, it's like, don't shame someone for eating a hamburger. If that person wants to eat less red meat, be like, okay, I'm going to show you how delicious kale is. I'm going to share this recipe with you for this fucking awesome vegan enchilada that has no animal product in it whatsoever. You're going to be stoked on it. You're going to come home at night some days of the week be like man i really want to make that and then the next night you can go out for a burger you know and i think that it's teaching the joy of the alternative versus shaming people for things that give them genuine pleasure is uh i don't know that seems to be our thing here in the united states we yeah. just love doing that but it kind of does I'm more in the camp of just uh, why on earth would you want to eliminate a choice, right? It's mm. just another choice I have now. I don't want to get rid of it. I'm glad it's there, you know. Yeah. Whether that be whether that be a, a, a food item or, or a drink item, you know, like now there's another choice to have. I think when you're there. substituting or looking at alternates, I think it's a it's an invitation as well to use your brain and be creative. It's like if I want a burger, it's like what can I do with mushrooms to make this really fucking interesting as well? You know, like why would you just go the shortcut of just, you know, saying, Oh, this looks, feels, smells, tastes like meat, but it's not meat. You know, I, I, for me, it just doesn't make sense. And I'll say I have a business that does, does the opposite of that. Um, (laughs) I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm a, I'm a partner in a vegan restaurant and bar group and uh, I'm not a vegan myself. Um, yeah, I, I get it. Um, you know, but we also pride ourselves on using very, very few. I think in our entire company, we only have two dishes on any menus that use an alternate meat. Uh, we we use vegetables, fruits, grains, legumes, etc. We don't use you know alternate meats because um, we want to highlight the thing that we're really looking at, which is the vegetables that come out of the earth or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I get it. it. It's you know it's a it's a double edged sword. But I think and people do call me out on it sometimes. Well, you're not even vegan. I'm like well. That doesn't matter. That, again, I, I want that choice. Like I, that food is delicious and, and I want it. Um, and sometimes I want this food and sometimes I want alcohol and sometimes I don't, you know. Um, again, I'm happy that the choices exist. And you're out there pioneering. You know, uh, my partner, again, she doesn't drink and uh, uh, she she chugged right through those bottles pretty quickly when they arrived. So she was excited to see them. And, you know, uh, she um, also has a problem with um, bubbles. She she she's always everywhere we go, and you've probably encountered this too. A lot of the NA options rely on seltzer or soda to have some kind of like you know astringency, <clears throat> and she calls those pain waters. You know she doesn't like the bubbles, um, so <laughs> she was happy to have some stuff that isn't very effervescent as well. Um, I did have one odd question. You know I was looking at the bottle and I thought to myself, well, uh, you know looks like wine, smells like wine, isn't wine. 
um, but it has a, a, a um, you know, a, a beer bottle cap on the top. Why did you choose that over maybe, maybe say a cork to, to just force that ritual, to force that like motion? Uh, it just looked cool, to be honest with you. I just, <laughs> cool. just prefer the aesthetics of it. It went on aesthetics. <laughs> yeah, there's no rhyme I mean, or reason. Um, it's, it was at the time, so we're nearly at five years. We're at five years in April or May, I think. But mm-hmm. at the time, we're living in that pet mat world and mm-hmm. pet, pet mats had the, had the tin caps and the crown seals. And we just kind of stuck with it um and then i i don't know about corks i know nothing about corks but i'm 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 i'd be a little bit apprehensive with any potential bacterial infection and how how you actually Mm. sterilize them and get them clean as well Um, oh sure i was thinking even the synthetic ones just to just to have that you know motion of driving my corkscrew in tilting the cork out you know like it it just sets the there's a little bit of pomp and circumstance there that just sets the tone you know Totally. Um, but again, you're not trying to be wine, so I get it. If that was a, a, an aesthetic choice, that seems fine too. But also, if it was a choice on purpose to not be wine, uh, then that that makes sense as well. I was just curious because um, n- my partner did point out she was like, "Well, you crack it open and you kind of got to finish it." That's also great for the business, <laughs> right? There's <laughs> oh, no we well, got a lot once of it's open, it's open. about that. I've, yeah, I've been it? working on a stopper for two years, so. Um... I wasn't happy with what we, we could get on the market. So I've had it like industrially designed and all that. So I get the golden sample next week, finally, after about two years. Um, so it's in all sparkling stoppers have a mechanical lever on them for them mm-hmm. to work. Uh, this doesn't, and it, and it keeps the bubbles. If you have two glasses, it'll keep the bubbles for two months in, in, in the fridge and the product doesn't oxidize or yeah. go off. Wow. So. Um, I'm pretty excited to get that out. And then I don't have to have this conversation anymore because I've had it so many times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're welcome. I get to, uh, now, I get to keep well, my good. Now you've had it on the air. You've, ha- <laughs> you've had it on the air. A lot of people will hear it. So that's a lot of conversations you don't have to have, right? So we, we yeah. just knocked out a bunch all at once. And then you okay. can link them to the speakeasy. So everybody wins. Yeah. We're, we're going to win. We're all going to win here today, guys. Awesome. <laughs> I I would love to know what's next for you. If there are any other uh, spaces that you're that you're looking to play in, I mean, I guess this is kind of a an odd question because, you know, I'm fully on board with your whole. You know, this is this is not wine's you know younger cousin. This is a, a, a it's a, this is its own specific entity that can live in the same spaces that wine does. I'm wondering if you're kind of eyeballing any um, other beverages that you might be interested in 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 moving into um, milk specifically, but uh, cocktails <laughs> or beer as well. If that's a thing that you you would be interested in, um, we've made a the way we do it version of basically every category. But I think you can always go an inch deep and a mile wide and not really get anything done. Um, so, you know, we've made a cider, we've made a beer. Um, you know, we used hops and orange juice for the beer and, and we got it, you know. Um, we've made an aperitif. Um, but it's also like just do one thing and do it really well, get that right and nail it. And then if you want to do line extensions, then do them. I'm more interested in actually what we could do with our food waste. That It goes to landfill and compost um which isn't the end of the day but what but what i really want to um do is like turn it into dog food or something interesting like that or so yeah i think there's like dog food i think there's an interesting place for convenience and and flavor in in food and condiments as as well um so it's not yeah there's a lot of ideas floating around um but right now i think we need to build this category and we need to give drinkers and more options um, mm-hmm. and just make them really delicious. Um, and whatever we fall into, if it falls into that we're doing delicious shit, then sure, we might bring it out. Like we, we don't have we don't have rules. We don't have borders like, hey, you can only stay here. You can't say that. You can't do this. You know, there's a lot of freedom within the company. So sure. I don't know if that really answers the question, but it's all on the table. Um, but right now we want to stay super focused. 
Yeah, that makes sense to me. Like, you know, all my spots are very focused on on individual things. You know, I have multiple spots, so I get to do a lot of stuff, but each space kind of sticks into its own lane. Um, I noticed uh, the bottles have numbers on them. Um, how many numbers, are, how, many, how many marks do you make? We've got eight at the moment. Um, and then we just locked in a collab yesterday, actually, um, with a, one of my favorite chefs in Australia. Um, so I don't know if that's getting a number yet. So maybe there's nine this year. Maybe we'll right. have a logo or something. Um, but it's eight. So we have the core range, which is one, three, and seven that we make all year round. Um, the reason why they're the core range is the color helps understand the food to pair it with and the occasion to have it in. Um, and, you know, it's that blush, light, and dark occasion. We don't say it's the pinot or white occasion or the rosé occasion because... Again, like we're saying, I said that was a non-alcoholic rosé. You tell me to get fucked. So <laughs> that's not what we're doing. Right. Um, so, um, and then we make the other ones. So the parent kombu, we'll make that in season. We were trying to make it all year round. And it was just, people want the natural flavours and the slight nuance and the variance, but they also want it to present like Coke as well, where it's like super consistent. So it's like, we use right. natural produce. This is impossible. So we make those um, and litter them in and out of the market um, when the when the produce is right and the farmer's got something good and we're like, great, let's just go turn this on. Um, so uh, that's that's our skew strategy at the moment. Is it right? I don't know, but that's what we're doing and it seems to be working. Well, um, again, I know you're trying to you know drift away from from being compared to wine, but that's 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 what wine is too, right? We're gonna there's gonna be variance year over year because the produce is different year over year, and we're we're gonna you know work with what we got. Like the the planet gives what it gives, right? Um, totally. And I think that you know, in in the booze world. People are interested in that. You know, there are many companies out there, you know, Pinhook comes to mind. They make great whiskey, but they don't um, they don't try and repeat themselves year over year. They try and make great whiskey every year. Right. So then people start collecting their bottles, you know. Um, so I think that there's there's a market for that. I think maybe you got to. I don't know what marketing you're doing out there, but I think you got to maybe make that known, you know. Your your bottle this year maybe bottle maybe different than the bottle last year because produce changed so you got to go get one <laughs> so you know the difference yeah yeah <laughs> so we did we trialed that with the non eight here in Australia um, so we bought all the apples from the orchard um, that we could get and we're like cool we're just going to make X amount of bottles and we'll launch it in Australia and then it'll be launched in the US in uh, July I think or June um, for summer but we did that identifier on the front so it was the first time we'd used any color so we put green and put called it capsule collection 2023 and that was it it was just mm -hmm. like when from the trials we had 100 trials on the ginger in that drink so i was just like we knew that we could never make this again anyway so mm -hmm. yes we were, we are exploring that vintage vernacular in ways um, sure but again we maybe want to use that language. Now that I'm talking to you, I'm like, hang on, is this the wrong idea? Because we're trying to separate ourselves from wine and now we're leaning into it and saying vintages. It's just like, fucking hell, we've done it again. So anyway, we'll figure that out. But thanks for provoking my thought on that. Sure. <laughs> I'm here to help, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if I helped. I made it worse. Uh, well, man, this has been a fascinating time talking to you about uh, non uh, and um you know, where can our listeners uh, follow along with what you're doing or where can they get a hold of your products uh, uh, here and, uh, and abroad? So New York, um, on menu, uh, plenty of great places from um, Illus to Crown Chai. Um, I can't remember them off the top of my head. Um, obviously. Soda uh, Club. Yeah, okay. Soda Club, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, so, so great places in New York, like Soda Club. And um, then obviously the route to market in New York is hard. So, you know, Spirit Away, Minus Moonshine, Poisson, the non-elk retailers. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and then I can't for the life of me remember any of the bodegas names that we're in. Um, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. And then California, um, San Fran seems to be everywhere um, at the moment. And then uh, in, in LA, in places like Maud to Hilo Liquor, um, Erewhon soon, so yeah. Ooh, Erewhon, <laughs> uh, that'd be a big get for you. Um, but largely, people can find non uh, on Instagram at non dot world, right? Yes. Uh, and they'll there's probably links uh, 
buried in there that they can go and find places that are nearby them to find it. But uh, it's N-O-N, uh, and it's uh, just a delicious drink. How about that? We don't have to categorize it at all. I like it's that. just damn it. good. It's just drinks. It's yummy, uh, yummy stuff. <laughs> Uh, well, again, thanks for beaming in from the future all the way down in Australia uh, and talking to us about your 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 five-year-old baby here. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, to the listener, you know, it's dry January. We've got a couple, we've got about a week left. So uh, get out there and find yourself some naan and enjoy, uh, enjoy it along with food or just with friends. It's great to just be social and have drinks that don't involve alcohol. Um, that's all I've got. Greg, you got anything? No, I just wanted to say uh, same thing. Thanks for for zooming in with us, and uh, good luck with everything. Next time you're in uh, New York City, give us a call. Thank you. I'll be uh, back in March or April, so I'll be sending you both message to. Ah, uh, waiting for waiting waiting it out for it to get warm, huh? That's smart. I see what you're doing there. Yes, um, I did dry January last year when we launched, and uh, yeah. I'm not doing that again. <laughs> We're summer here. The truth, the truth <laughs> finally comes out. Yeah. It's too cold. Come back for, come back for a dry July. <laughs> yeah. Um, thanks, guys. I right. appreciate it. It was a really good chat. Yeah, thanks so much, Aaron. So uh, that's it for this episode of The Speakeasy. Tune into heritageradionetwork.org to find out more shows just like ours. Uh, there's a beating heart on the website somewhere where you can donate to keep shows like ours on the air. Uh, and that's all we've got for today, guys. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. So you don't shun the devil with your The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food and drink radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. 